0: This episode of This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty is brought to you by Friends O'Clyde. Welcome to This this Podcast is Making Me Thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 89, today's guest is a veteran of TV and film, played Bob. George's Nemesis in the classic season five episode of Seinfeld, The Pie, Mark Beltzmann. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give a comment, a review, like on iTunes if you're listening over there. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 89, Mark Feltzman. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. It's episode 89. Today's guest is a veteran of TV and film. He's an actor, writer, and director. Co founded the Maui Improv, and has worked the legendary theater Second City in Chicago. You know him from Home Alone, Billy Madison, The Wedding Singer, According to Jim, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And, of course, he played Bob, George's nemesis, in the classic Season 5 episode of Seinfeld, The Pie. Please welcome Mark Beltzman. Mark, thanks for joining.
1: Aloha. Thanks for asking. Happy to be here. It sounds like you're interviewing somebody else, somebody with a career. <laughs>
2: Well, you've had a great great career, Mark, and it's funny I didn't I didn't realize uh, you played the character named Bob on Seinfeld. But take us back. So, 1994, um, you appeared in the Pie uh, in Seinfeld. I think you started taping in January. But uh, tell us a little bit about how that part came about. Was there was there an audition? I mean, how would that whole role come about?
1: Well, you just jump right into it here, don't you? You don't want to know anything about me, how you doing. We,
0: we right circle back. back, Mark. We, we like to back. circle back.
1: Right down into the gutter of Seinfeld.
0: <laughs> we stay in uh, our lane.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it's probably the greatest show of a generation. And uh, they were all very kind to me. Um, you know, my agent kept submitting me for stuff on the show, and they uh, they kept uh, hiring other actors, but they really liked me. So they brought me in a number of times. Um, and finally, uh, they uh, gave me the role. Actually, um, the role was actually Fat Guy. That was the name of the role on the script. <laughs> and uh, at one point, we were shooting. And I'm um, seriously, Jerry, uh, Fat Guy? He goes, what do you want to be called? I go, anything. Bob. He goes okay, and so to this day, that character's name is Bob, and uh, I, 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 you know, I mean, I, I, there's no denying it. I'm a large gentleman, and I'm, uh, I'm what you would probably refer to as a fat guy. That fat guy, um, but I just didn't. I was like, really, you can't come up with a name for this character, and it was fun because you know those guys were very, um, very cool, and. Um, you know, very personable and you could talk to them and hang out. And uh, that's how that came
0: about. Yeah. Very cool. And I, I see you got a, you got an awesome shirt on now and you wore an awesome shirt in that scene when you go into the Yeah, st- that, was <laughs> my, yeah that was
1: my wardrobe. I missed that shirt.
0: Was that that's your own shirt, right? You, you yeah, had that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Love that shirt. I had a comment on that shirt. The shirt's awesome. Um, yeah. We had talked to a couple of your co-stars already in that, in that uh, episode, Christine uh, Dunford, who plays the uh, saleswoman. And um, and Sunday Theodore, who plays Kramer's back scratching and girlfriend, you know. Thing about me, (laughs) 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 You said you were joy to work with. No, we wanted to know, uh, you know, your take on. I know you kind of just went over a little bit, but I'm curious. you know, working with working with Jason Alexandria, had you known him, I think he's a Chicago guy as well. Um, you know, he was in, he was just mainly who you worked with in that uh, in that scene. Anything you could take from that? That um, I don't know, anything didn't air or anything. You, you maybe uh, you ad lib from your Second City days with Jason during that that shoot.
1: How come I'm the last one out of that episode to be interviewed? Uh, I, I'm I'm taking offense to that. You introduced the clerk, the girl who scratched the back. You found all those people. You couldn't find me?
2: Mark, Mark, ladies first. You know this.
1: Oh, uh, well, that was a good comeback. I'll give you that. Um, you're a good improviser. I'm just fucking with you guys. Uh,
3: yeah.
1: No. I'll tell you, the only uh, thing that was really interesting about that is um, Jason was great, too. They were all really fun. I have a lot of memories, great memories. But at one point, Larry David came up to me. Uh, during the week, and he said, um, "Hey, did you ever audition for that part um, of George?" And I was like, "No." He goes, "Too bad. I'd have hired you in a heartbeat."
0: <laughs> this fellow, a, a fellow, a fellow forty short.
1: Yeah, well, I could have had you know that kind of <laughs> uh, success would have been much more gratifying. Uh, but uh, I'm very fortunate. I have no complaints. I'm not bitching about a thing. I just remember. There, uh, Larry asked me that at one point. And it was fun, and he was cool too. Because uh, you know, I got to work on Curb too. I was in the pilot for Curb, so those guys were always very good
2: Yeah. So I guess let's talk about that. It had the Curb, the Curb that came about. Obviously, you knew Larry from from Seinfeld. Um, and again, you were there, season five Seinfeld, right? Just the show was kind of at its peak in our mind. Um, yeah, sure. So. Had the whole curb thing come about, Larry obviously remembered you from the pie
1: well he he remembered me, but um, more importantly, Jeff Garland was a second city oh right oh, did right, it really well, and at the time, uh, Jeff was married to a woman named Marla, and Marla Garland um, was originally both Jeff and i's agent in Chicago. Jeff married her, and then she was a casting director for many, many, many years. She still does a lot of industry um uh does a lot of work in the industry and so she was the casting director for the pilot of her so jeff and marla called me in and larry remembered me and then it was just uh you know another gift from the universe uh Mm -hmm. the worlds all came together and collided in that moment and they said yeah and then again you know this is the story of my career and uh i don't want this to ever sound like bitching but you know, the pilot got picked up and I thought, Oh, thank God. I finally got a series and I was one of the only people from the pilot that didn't get picked up for the show. So,
0: ah, uh,
3: <laughs>
1: story of my life.
0: I was going to ask about that. Cause that was the, that was like a mockumentary, that original pilot, right? It was almost like a documentary. Yeah, it was
1: called Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm and it was an hour pilot for, yeah. it was actually an hour special for HBO that they turned into a series.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, Listen, I said we'd circle back. I know we hopped right into Seinfeld, but obviously you mentioned gotta Second go. City.
1: I got to get going.
2: Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Second City as a big impact. And obviously I know you kind of kicked off with Home Alone. I'm assuming John Candy was a big influence and a big connection uh, for your career.
1: Oh, yeah. John was amazing. You know, I mean, if anybody asks me to this day, Who's the favorite uh, actor you've ever worked with, hands down? It would be John Candy. He was very um, just generous man, really warm, down to earth, and really fun to be around the set on. And I got to do a few movies with him. I was in,
3: uh, let's see, I got cut out of Uncle Buck. I was, uh, got oh. cut out of um, Curly Sue. He wasn't in that though.
1: Home Alone I got left in. Uh, But I'm still really good friends with his family.
0: He directed his daughter, right?
1: Both his kids are actors. His daughter is a spitting image of him. And Chris, uh, his son, is uh, also an actor and musician, as am I. And um, I've worked with them. As a matter of fact, Jennifer Candy, his daughter has a a show she does called Couch Candy. And she Mm -hmm. interviews people who work with her father. And you can look that up on YouTube. And every one of them's a great guest and they're all like about 45 minute episodes and so she asked me to do that and I was a guest on
2: yeah we had uh every- we had John you're going to get mad we had John Capolos as well on our show before you but oh, i fun. know he was uh-
1: a yeah, don't ever mention yeah. his presence again
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh- the Cap's,
1: Caps an old Second City brother, you know. Yeah, company, John Capalos, let's see Ken Campbell, Pat Finn.
0: Yeah, we talked was, to Pat you know, Finn too.
1: Chris Barnes, another Second City uh, guy who was on uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, all you, of us, you know Did you
2: did you grow up in Chicago? Or well, I know Second City is in Chicago, but where'd you grow up originally?
1: I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan and uh went to school there and um uh, then, uh, at some point, um, a friend of mine, my best friend from high school, his parents had a couple of friends who were photographers. And one of them asked me, uh, Charlie, this guy, Charlie Schridt, asked me if he could borrow my tuba, cause I'm a tuba player, mm-hmm. uh, for a lazy boy chair magazine ad. And I said, sure. And he said, you want to be in it? And that was the first job I ever had was a model on a uh, lazy, lazy boy chair magazine ad. And then um, another friend of that family, uh, also a photographer, his name was Amin Harani. And Amin uh, is mo- is really responsible for starting my acting career. He asked me to be in a TV commercial in Detroit. That was all still photographs, but I was uh, portrayed as Tony Baker, the high-low driver who drove his forklift into 400 refrigerators and they were having a damaged goods sales at Highland Appliance. <laughs> and then that that commercial ended up getting sold to several other markets, Steinberg's Appliance. And and so that was basically the beginning of my acting career when I was 21. And I haven't done anything else since. And I'm about to be 61 in about two and a half or three weeks.
0: Wow. You worked with a lot of legends. I mean, Candy, uh, Larry David, also, um, you know, a couple of Sandler movies. How how'd that connection come about with Sandler? And, uh,
1: that would make me a legend now, wouldn't it, Tony?
0: Exactly. That's why we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just, um, Sandler was all industry, right? I, um, uh, Universal, my agent submitting me for uh, a movie called Billy Madison, and I auditioned. And that was Sandler's first big film yeah. that he wrote and um produced with his buddies. Uh Tim Hurley he wrote the movie with and uh Jack Garaputo uh was a producer. And my part actually was supposed to go to uh, another friend of of Sandler's named Alan Covert. And Covey's been in a bunch of Sandler movies since then. Um but Sandler didn't have enough money and power at that point over the studio to say, "This is who I want to play that role." So the studio hired me, and um, that's how I got that role and became friends with those guys. And,
0: and Norm, Norm too, right? R.I.P.
1: Norm, sad we lost yeah. Norm recently. Yeah, Norm was a genius, and uh, what an honor it was to work with him as well.
2: And also, obviously, we be remiss not to mention Chris Farley. Did you work with, with him in Second City as well, on top of Billy Madison, of course?
1: Oh, sure, sure. Farley, um, you know, when Farley auditioned for Second City, I was already working there, and uh, Joyce Sloan, who was the producer and um, second mother to all of us who were employed there, uh, said to me, oh, we hired your understudy today, and uh, meaning Farley, and then course it didn't work out that way like I said the story of my career uh, worked out the other way around and uh you know Farley went to SNL and uh, the rest is history so yeah he was great it's great to um an honor to work with him as well
2: you know I think all came aside you, you keep mentioning it but oh you know the story of my life but I mean you've had a great career you're out in Hawaii now Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You've worked with, I mean, I guess the other day, I don't know if it's a fair question, but would you rather have that one big hit and just work with a small group of people or kind of the life and career you've had and you've touched and reached and worked with so many special people?
1: Well, I can't even answer that. I mean, in retrospect, like you said, I have a great life. I have a great wife. I live in Maui, you know. um, I get to do what I love for a living. No regrets. And uh, I would probably wouldn't change a thing. Um, I'm still working, you know, I believe my best work is still ahead of me and, um, pounding the pavement and auditioning and, uh, uh, it's, um, it's a, it's a great choice.
0: Very cool. Just to take it back to Seinfeld one last time here, cause we are, uh, you know, Seinfeld, uh, podcast, um, the, <laughs>
3: Now, that was an awkward transition. How was that transition for you? (laughs) Uh, You Wait till you hear the
0: question. You're going to (laughs) really
3: love it. Uh,
0: No, this is is something that O'Hara asked the other day. We didn't get a straight answer. Maybe you could answer for us because you actually tried on the suit did that suit make that noise or did they add that's that noise in uh later on in like post editing the swoosh noise on that suit
1: oh no it didn't make any noise uh, but that suit we eat me, me and uh jason each had a, a, a suit made for us personally tailored by neil diamond's personal tailor from a roll of material and um Actually, I got to keep the suit because it didn't fit anybody else. And I had that stuff for years. And, you know, um, this is a completely off the beaten path story. But um, in 2012, I was doing a musical with uh, George Went called Reanimator the Musical. And we all went to, uh, I did it on and off for about three and a half years. We all went to um, New York to do the New York Music Festival on Broadway. And then we all flew to Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival in Scotland. And my wife and I had been in the same apartment in L.A. Um, for 21 years at that point, And we were just kind of ready to move on. So we decided to sell everything we own in Los Angeles. We sold our cars, our clothes most of our furniture, put some stuff in a friend's garage. And she met me in Scotland at the end of our run. And then my wife calls it, uh, our walkabout. And we just kind of, um, fucked off and traveled around Europe and all over, uh, for about 14 months. We spent, um, a month in Scotland and then went to Amsterdam. And then I ended up renting a house in, um, Blackheath, uh, London, right next to Greenwich, um for about six months and I taught, uh, uh, improv and acting all over Europe. And that was fun. And then we came back to New York and lived there for a while. And I taught my way all the way back to LA where we, uh, where we were for, uh, uh, six years until 2019. And then we moved to Maui full time. Uh, but my point was, is we purged everything we own in that move. And I sent all of that stuff to a, a celebrity auction house. And they sold, uh, you know, that suit, the jacket from Home Alone, all the stuff I was keeping. And it was all, you know, it was um, real sentimental. But I realized I wasn't getting rid of the sentimental memories. I was just getting rid of all the shit. It just sat (laughs) in the closet. You know, I wore it maybe two or three times as a joke or, you know, to some party or something or show people when they come over. Oh, yeah, here it is. But it was just collecting dust and I never used that stuff, so I get rid of all that stuff. I don't I
2: don't own any of it. It's a way to do it. <clears throat> so not in my opinion, I'd say early nineties, ninety to ninety-five, for me was kinda comedy's golden era, if you will. Just Seinfeld at its peak. You mentioned Sunday Live, and then obviously like the Billy Madison stuff started picking up. are, are you I mean, and you've done a ton, but I mean, are, are you most recognized i'm guessing here seinfeld and billy madison or maybe wedding singer as well
3: I, I i don't even know if i get recognized
1: at all for anything anymore um but yeah i suppose you know those are the most uh popular of all the things that i've done i i you know i'm very fortunate that i have a career in Nobody really knows who I am unless I tell them and they go, no way, you're that guy. And then, of course, everybody, there's nobody who hasn't seen me in something, but nobody has any clue who I am. And that's a blessing uh, and a curse, but only only a curse because I would have a lot more money. If I was more recognizable, <laughs> but it's really a blessing. Yeah. Hey,
2: Mark, it's not about the money, right? Um, so so that I, we
1: do I get paid for this.
2: <laughs> oh the checks in the mail, you didn't get it. Yeah.
3: Okay.
1: Um
2: uh, so that week of Sidepot, are you around like are you around watching like Sunday Theodore's like stuff? Um are you working on are you watching like everything or are you just doing your scenes with uh Costanza and that's it? What do you remember about that week?
1: Oh you you know especially in the I was like hmm, what was I, I was in the nineties? Ninety
2: four.
1: Like in my early thirties, right? I was just hungry, man. I, I I watched every shot and learned everything I could from camera angles to assistant directors to lighting to craft services to who talks to who, why, where, wardrobe, makeup. You know, you're like a kid in a candy store and I'm just observing everything I can and learning everything about my craft and my industry from anybody who will give me two seconds of their time. So yeah, no, I was you have to stay out of their way. You can't piss anybody off. But like, you know, is what I learned really early on was like if you have a like is this shirt okay, you would go to the wardrobe person and the wardrobe person would go to the second A D, say is Mark's shirts okay and the second A D would go to the first A D and say, Is Shirts okay? And the first A D would go to the director and the director would say, I don't know, is Mark shirt a Larry David? Let's go to Larry David and see if Larry David... You know, and it's a chain of command, right? right? So I would just walk out of the wardrobe, then go up to Larry David and go, is this shirt okay? You know, I would just walk <laughs> to him and right. go, what? You don't need to fucking spend a half an hour with the fucking chain of command. I would just walk up to Larry and go, hey, man, is this good for you? Yeah, okay, it's good. Or change that or do that. So I just kind of like, you know, one of those guys who... Pays attention, you know, observe, know your audience, know where you're at, and, you know, execute accordingly. So uh, that was my story.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a great place to learn, too. I mean, if you're on that set, especially like O'Hara said, season five.
1: I'll tell you you, uh, one of the most interesting stories for me about that or experiences I had. You know, everything's different nowadays with the movies back then. If you were a guest star, you got a week contract, you know, we were paid like you said, it was a heyday of of being an actor. Five
2: K, what do you get for that? What's that? What do you get? Like five K for that, typically?
1: Uh yeah, something like that. I don't I don't even remember. Uh yeah, our quotes back then you could get, you know, it would go up and up for every job you had. I don't know where I was around then. Thirty five, four thousand, five thousand, something like that. Um, you get, if you were really, you know, a big celebrity, you get up to 10 grand or even negotiate a price, uh, for a lot more. If you had stature and resume and, and box office appeal. Um, but my point was, uh, back then you could, you, you were there for the whole week. So the first day was what you call a table read. You just sit down at a mm-hmm. table and read a script. Then, uh. The next day is uh, camera blocking, so they know where everything goes, where you're going. You know, the third day is rehearsal, so you start to lock stuff in. Writers can update and give you new pages every day if they're changing your lines. Lighting people are getting used to everything, props people are getting used to. And then, you know, you get to Thursday, which is dress rehearsal for the network. They bring all the suits down. They watch the whole thing run through, make all the changes for the actual shoot day where they bring in the live audience on Friday. You know, I'm just using that as an example.
3: Right.
1: Seinfeld was they would do. I think their Mondays were like Sunday. They would work on weekends because yeah. nobody else was at the studio, so they wanted and and they wanted nobody else around. It was easier to work at the at the on the lot those days. So their Mondays were like Saturday to shoot day was Wednesday or something like that. But um, so I'm sitting the very first day. I'm sitting at the table read waiting for the cast to show up and Michael Richards shows up and he beelines right for me. He goes, Hey, I, I recognize you. Uh, I saw you do improv down at the, at the showcase in Santa Monica. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He goes, yeah, you, you do the same thing. I, we do the same thing. And it's like, and I'm just sitting there with my jaw dropped. (laughs) <laughs> going, I'm supposed to be saying this stuff to you. You know, like I recognize you. you're great. Right. You're right. I wanna, you know, whatever. And so that was really fascinating experience and that was like my first moment of the first day. Um, so it was it was really a pleasure. And then because Michael had recognized me, I think, you know, everybody else kind of recognized that and it was um, you know, kind of broke the ice and I just had a lot of fun hanging out, sitting around with those guys bullshitting all the
2: Well, it's it's funny, Mark, on your website, you have a good quote saying, uh, making your partner look good makes you look twice as good. And I think that's a common theme at at Seinfeld. They love to see the guest star shine. I think like you, you know, you stole the show. I mean, in that episode, for sure. I mean, you bastard. I mean, yelling at George, it was great chemistry. And it just, maybe just touch on that, how some, like the four main characters just talked about Michael Richards, but. Um, kind of how the other four are, are, are generous in that sense. And if you saw that throughout your, your career, you let, I mean, is Seinfeld unique in that, in that stance?
1: Um, well, well, that's why there's so many second city people you see on the show is Mm -hmm. it's ensemble driven. And that's what ensemble work is all about. We believe if you make your partner look good, you look twice as good. Be present, be in the moment, be honest, truthful, and real. Um, and those are just qualities of that you learn at Second City when you work with a, a group of people um, who are all have the same goal in mind, which is the work is the most important thing and not any one person. And it's driven by the story. Um, and we all want to support the story. And I, I don't know if Seinfeld is unique to that process, but it certainly um, was the gold standard. And, um, that's what the work is all about. And that's basically what sitcoms are about situation comedies are for the most part about ensemble work. And you go from, you know, from one production to another or one set to another set. And, um, they all have a little bit of a different personality, uh, depending on who's in charge and what the energy of the room is. Um, and, um, what kind of egos are involved in all of that uh i would say in seinfeld there probably really wasn't much of an ego with anybody everybody was uh made themselves on a pretty much of a level playing field and there's many 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 shows i work on that uh that you can't say that and i won't go into that i'm not gonna badmouth anybody but um they're not all like that right
0: as you mentioned, the gold standard. You also told us earlier that you had, um, you know, you've been you auditioned a couple of times. It sounds like for for Seinfeld. Um, is that fair to say? Then you you saw the potential of the show and and what it was early on. Were you a fan before season five, and you wanted to be on it, or you were just auditioning for shows as far as like from a television watching standpoint? Because you you were on in season five, it was huge, but. Not, not everyone thought it was huge in seasons, you know, two and three, let's say, although we did, but not everyone. I don't know if you were on that boat.
1: Well, as an actor, I just want to work.
0: Right. Okay. Just, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what
1: I really want to do is work. And you know, that's, that's, uh, the nature of the beast, uh, is all I want to do is work. And I don't get to do it nearly as often as I would like to. And people have day jobs they go to every day and hate them. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah everybody was just really cool and uh they had a, everybody was there for a common purpose and uh had the same goal in mind and it showed from top to bottom and that usually has to do with leadership and and I, I give Larry David a lot of credit for that and him and him and Seinfeld were friends long before that right and they did a lot of stuff and of course Larry David had a lot of experience he did a show called Fridays which was mm. up against uh SNL So that was also an ensemble-driven show that he had experience with, although all those guys were stand-up comedians, Michael Richards, Jerry Seinfeld, and Larry David himself. Um, So it was driven by comedy and uh, people who had a lot of experience in stand-up, but not as much experience in doing ensemble work or television. And um, I think they were really smart to hire people who knew what they were doing in those arenas and kind of shaped the show from from the top down. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it's a, it's a good point about leadership. Do you, just cause you've worked with both of them, do you draw any parallels between I'll put Seinfeld and Larry David together and, and Sandler as far as um, kind of how they steer the ship on set, um, how involved they are. I'm just curious. I know a movie sets a little different, but I'm, I'm curious. We couldn't peak. You couldn't pick two more
0: more opposite
2: human
1: beings. I mean, <laughs> Larry is exactly what you see. He is uh, a genius. He really uh, knows comedy, displays leadership, but is totally fucking neurotic. I mean, that is really him. He's always questioning shit. He's always, you know, how every episode of Curb is basically an argument, and right, um, uh, that's his style. That's who he is. Sandler, Sandler just doesn't give a fuck. He does what he thinks is, I'll tell you what Sandler does. In my opinion, he basically makes home movies with his friends and his family and whoever he wants to work with, and he doesn't give a shit what people think, and he does what he thinks is funny, and he's laughing all the way to the bank, and we all criticized it early on, you know, him doing Weekend Update, which he claims made his career because nobody would really write for him or with him on SNL. So he just wrote his own stuff and he claims opera man and all those bits that he did mm. on we update actually, you know, gave him a career, but Sandler essentially just works with his friends and family and he loves doing it. And those movies are all reflective of that. And he just, I have so much respect for him after Doing Billy Madison and wedding singer, and understanding that he um, he doesn't worry about what other people think. <laughs> Larry, Larry uh, uh, on the other hand, I think worries about what everybody thinks.
0: <laughs> we also i would think just from what we heard we talked to larry hankin who was also in 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 uh hankin, in I billy madison.
1: see i am in the last one here <laughs>
0: <laughs> hankin hankin didn't really like the set he said but we will we get into that he didn't have a great time on the uh on the billy madison set from what he told us really? but uh yeah i don't know It, it <laughs> sounded it sounded like well it sounded like you know like you just said sandler was having fun with his friends and I don't know if Hankin was really in that group. Maybe he was different age or something, and so he felt a little bit uh, uh-huh. on the outside of uh, of everyone else's fun. Um, he spent just, a lot
1: more time by himself than most people did.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what that's kind of the vibe we got. But uh, I mean, Bill Madison's is still is probably my favorite of of all time. Your scene with the hose was that in the script, or you just decided to pick up a hose and spray a kid, and it was funny.
1: Oh, spraying the kid! Oh.
0: Yeah, that's some, one of the greatest twelve seconds of film ever been.
1: Yeah, I, it, it, I think it was in the script. I don't think <laughs> I made that up. No. All
2: right. So, did you and uh, were you at the Seinfeld uh, rap party season five? I'm sure you and Capitalist went to that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was up on. It was at top of a of, uh, Griffith Observatory. It's on the on the rooftop of the Griffith Observatory.
2: Yeah, what do you got? What, you got any stories? You playing the do two- with that thing or? Uh...
1: No, man. I'm not going to get sued over this show. Are you me? <laughs> <laughs> what
2: are
1: you trying to do to me?
2: Oh, yeah. You, you got to ask, you know? <laughs>
1: I was a good party. I mean, you know, nothing spectacular, nothing juicy for sure at that party. No, many others, maybe, but not that.
2: <laughs> oh, Mark. Well, listen, uh, this was a real treat, man. We yeah, we appreciate the time. Um, like I said, Bob, Chef Bob, was we just got a, to the bottom of that. A classic character, yeah.
1: No, otherwise I'd be called Fat Guy to this day.
0: Dude, can you play? Can, we were we were wondering about the Kenosha, uh, you know, the band. Did they really um, play? Did you guys actually do any polka songs? Like, was that because you could play the tuba? where you? Did everyone else also play? Did you guys actually ever perform? Yeah, well, like the maybe? Rest,
1: well, the rest of that band was a real band. Real it band. was okay. Yeah, I was the only actor in that, and yeah, that was my. That's really my tuba. It's um, it's a hundred and nine years old, and I had it restored, and um, I still play it. Yeah. Wow. And, awesome, yeah, man. we played a little music, not much. I think the recording was uh After the fact, but I do uh, another interesting fact. I get paid as a musician and as an actor
3: on that on Home Alone because of that. Very cool. Really? Huh. Yeah, Very cool. You know, I get I get a whole a check for twenty six
1: dollars every year from the musicians union, and
3: <laughs> Home Alone.
1: I'm <laughs> doing a couple bucks here and there.
2: <laughs> but, yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, this listen, say, Mark, this is great. Happy birthday in a couple of weeks, and uh,
1: thank you very much.
2: Keep up the good work, my man. Yeah, thank great you,
1: Mark. To you guys, thanks for reaching out, and uh, anytime. Good luck to you.
2: Thank yeah. you, Mark.
3: All the best. Awesome. All right. See, you, brothers. Aloha. Aloha.